Hey, thanks again, everybody, for being here. I know there's a lot of things competing for your time, especially on the weekend. So uh, on a day like today, probably the biggest struggle is getting out of a nice warm bed. Who knows what I'm saying about that, you know. So I'm, I'm glad you made the commitment to being here. You actually picked a great week to start coming to church because we are starting a brand new series called Home Improvement. And uh, unfortunately... Due to some scheduling conflicts, Al Borland and Tim Taylor could not make, you know, the, the event. But over these next three weeks together, we're going to be exploring some of the areas in our home lives that I think God has big plans for. I will be taking on the role of Wilson, W. Wilson Jr., and imparting to you wisdom from across the fence. You will see my face this entire time. Hopefully that does not come as a shock to you. If you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, so you will just have to Netflix it and uh, go from there. But today, this Sunday before Valentine's Day, men, hint, hint, it's Valentine's this week. I want to talk to you about improved relationships. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did, go ahead and grab it. Make your way to John chapter 13. John is going to be towards the back of your Bible. You can look for some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it will go. If there is a one, two, or three before the word John, you have gone too far. Go back to your left. Uh, While you're getting there, I don't know how many of you all do this, but my wife loves to jam out in the car. There have been times when I have ashamedly uh, needed to drive her van and embarrassingly you know it's humiliating enough but you get in you turn it on and then you're shocked by the greatest showman at the decibel level that it is playing at and you're wondering what was happening right before you but she likes to crank it up and sing along in fairness i don't mind being with her while she's doing this Uh, she's got a good voice admittedly i do often wonder what the people around us are thinking you know because you know they can hear it and so if you're at a stoplight, sometimes I just like to look over and, and push on the glass like, help me, like, I don't see what they do, but nobody has stopped. Uh, uh, but so singing is not the problem. The problem is she has a tendency to sing the wrong words. And I discovered this when we were dating over a decade ago. We were getting after some 80s rock because that's the greatest music of all time. Amen, somebody. Uh, but uh, White Snake. Here I go again. Came on, you've heard it. Here I go again on my own, going down the only road I've ever known. Laura says, like a twister, I was born to walk alone. Wait, what? Time, you know, pause. Babe, like a what? She says, like a twister. I said, a twister? What does that even mean? You're born to walk alone? She's like, you know how a tornado is by itself on the plains and on the prairie? No, no, I, I've never, never heard that uh, before. I don't think that's right on many levels. Um, I will not share with you some of the other lyrics she has made up, but I can tell you she's not the only one in her family who does this. <laughs> Apparently, it is genetic. Her sisters will be here next service. Furthermore, what uh, I can tell you is that it doesn't stop with classic rock. Uh, We were trying to teach our kids some Christmas music a couple years ago, echoing the words to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Y'all can help me out with this. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
had a very shiny nose. If you ever saw it, saw it, you would even say it glows like a light bulb. All of the other reindeer, reindeer, used to laugh and call him names like Fudge Face. You never let poor Rudolph, Rudolph, join in any reindeer games like football. Apparently, she's not the only one who has never... Let's just do a quick English lesson with syllables. How many syllables does reindeer have? How about Rudolph? How about football and Elvis and whatever else you're supposed to say? Fudge face. Monopoly? What? That doesn't, it does, that's three, you know? Columbus? It doesn't work. Whatever it is, it doesn't work. Nonetheless... After 10 years of marriage, I no longer correct her when she sings the wrong lyrics to the song. Instead, it's way better. And couples, I would highly suggest that you do this in your marriage. Do not correct the wrong words. Instead, I like to tell her inappropriate lyrics on purpose so that then she'll sing them. You know, who knows Abba? Dancing queen, young and sweet, only 17. Feel the beat from the tangerine come on but that's right that's good stuff right there uh bon jovi living on a prayer she says we got to hold on to what we've got doesn't make a difference if you're naked or not right that that is we're married we're married it's fine we can be naked but here's my point here's my point jot this down if you're taking notes if you learn it wrong you're going to live it wrong. It's my entire message this morning in one sentence. If you learn it wrong, you're going to live it wrong. In song lyrics and in life, if you learn it wrong, you're going to live it wrong. The reason this is a big deal for us today in terms of relationships is if you learn what relationships are wrongly, you're going to live them wrongly. And it does not take a rocket scientist to know that in our world today, relationships are being lived wrongly. Found out this week that the average married couple spends four minutes a day in meaningful conversation. Likely, that's a commercial break, you know. Um, 20% of couples spent more money on their pet this past Christmas than each other. You know, what's wrong with that? She said she didn't want anything. Well... Uh, it might be why 50% of marriages in America now end in divorce. Uh, 67% of second marriages, 74% of third marriages, barring God's intervention, will also end in divorce. More than 50% of college students say they do not have anybody that they could tell secrets to. What about your parents? Nope, can't tell them. No trusted confidant that they could tell their deepest, darkest secrets to. Furthermore, what's really heartbreaking is a report of child abuse is filed every 10 seconds. Not how God planned for this world to go. Also found out that kids will now spend more time playing video games than they will outside. Vitamin D deficiency, anybody, you know? I mean, it's why you have to wear sunglasses when you go to their place because every kid is so white looking like vampires up there. I mean, good <laughs> Lord. Get outside, children, but... Uh, none of this is what God has intended for you or for your relationship. So what is the solution to this dysfunction? Well, if I've learned anything from Laura's singing, it's that love is the answer. 
Come on, blessed union of souls. Hello. Uh, But in all seriousness, the Bible clearly tells us that love is the single greatest thing that we can do in this life. Jesus was once asked by somebody, what is the single greatest command in all of the law? In other words, what the guy was really asking is, summarize the Bible for me, Jesus, in one sentence. And here's what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The secret, according to Jesus, in the whole Bible is love. The problem with that is that most people have learned what love is wrongly. And now they're living their definition of love also wrongly. Think about it. I love tacos. That is not love. People say, if you'd love me, you'd let me do what I want. Again, not love. Or you've heard somebody say this, I love you, I'm just not in love with you. Again, that is not God's definition of love. So what is love? That's what we're going to try and figure out this morning. How can we improve our relationships by relearning what love is according to Scripture? Because if you learn it wrong, you're going to live it wrong. You're in John chapter 13. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that His hour had come to leave this world and return to His Father. He had loved His disciples during His ministry on earth... And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Before we can talk about love, let's talk about Judas. Judas is a good example of someone who likely learned it wrong and now is living life wrong. In case you are unfamiliar, Judas is one of Jesus' twelve disciples. In that day, there were not schools per se. Uh, So you advanced occupationally through mentoring relationships. So it was vitally important that you followed a good quality teacher. And that's actually what disciple means. It means follower. And Jesus chose 12 men to follow him so that when he no longer was physically on this earth, they could continue what he started. You would do the same thing if you were in a trade, if you were a blacksmith, a carpenter, a fisherman, whatever it was. You would find people to follow you. You would teach them the craft so that the uh, trade could continue. Now, To be completely accurate, Jesus had more than 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 10, you can see him sending out 72 disciples, which meant he spent enough time with at least 72 people in order to teach them what they needed to do to to go out and preach and, and do the ministry that Jesus was on earth to do. But he dedicated his life to 12, the chosen 12. Jesus, the author and creator of life, spent every waking moment for three years with 12 men that he had chosen, 12 friends. Which means, let this sink in, Judas had a privileged seat when Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and a couple fish. Uh, Judas had a front row seat. When Jesus spit on the ground and put the mud on the man's eyes because he was blind and the man could miraculously see. Judas heard every sermon Jesus ever gave and he's a perfect example of what happens when you do not allow information to lead to transformation. 
People often say, well, if I could just meet Jesus, if he would be on this earth now, if he could just ride in the sky, if God could just somehow speak to me audibly, send me an angel, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If your heart is hardened now, that's not going to change it. Judas is a perfect example of that. Pastors like to spend a lot of time preaching about different characters in the Bible, and rightfully so. There's something we can learn from all of them, but I want to someday preach a message just on Judas because everybody's good for something, even if it's just how to be a bad example. And Judas is exactly that. And if we're going to learn what love is, maybe we should start with what love isn't. Love isn't betrayal. Verse 2 says, The devil put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. If you will read on, you'll see that that's exactly what happens. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Some of, the, some of you have done the same thing to your spouse and betrayed them. And oh, it was love that led me to do that, Pastor. Wrong. We also know that Judas was stealing money from the ministry of Jesus, as most Americans will. The average Christian in America right now will give away 2% of their income. You're saying that's robbing from God? I'm not. Malachi chapter 3 is. And that's exactly what Judas did. What I find interesting is that Judas' dad is named here. And uh, in fact, to my knowledge, it's the only time Judas' dad is named in all of Scripture. I find that compelling because I think that should serve as a warning to not let your name be associated with the betrayal of Jesus. What do you mean by that? Well, we're talking about relationships this morning, and you should know that children of divorced parents are more at risk of being poor, being unhealthy, having mental illness, not graduating college, and getting divorced themselves. People don't think about that when they sign the papers. They just think about how much better they're going to feel. And I feel like this all the time. I say this all the time, but your sin never affects just you. It always affects the people around you. Now listen, in that same breath, you need to hear me say that sometimes we have no burden of responsibility for the people in our lives. Did Jesus love Judas? Yes. Was Jesus a good friend or was Jesus a good friend to Judas? Yes, a perfect friend. Did Jesus serve Judas? Yes. Was Judas still unfaithful to Jesus? Yes. Some of you are carrying a burden that you do not need to carry. It is not yours to bear. Jesus was everything Judas needed. And Judas still said no. Some of you are needing to quit blaming yourself. And allow that person to walk away. You did the best you could with where you were at in life. But, let's keep going because we need to see what love actually is. It starts in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Now the implications of this are lost on us today because we have shoes We have sidewalks, we have vehicles, we have transportation, we have indoor plumbing. But a couple thousand years ago, in a society where you had to walk on dusty roads everywhere, and all 
sorts of creatures were also rocking on the same road, livestock, and uh, it, it was very necessary, I will say, to uh, clean off your feet specifically from everything that the animals left on the road while they were walking. Are you tracking with what I'm saying there? It was necessary to get all that gooch off of your feet, especially before you went into somebody else's home. And because people were not able to hose off their feet at the front porch before they walked in, and there were no socks yet, and you were not able to shower, this is a very undignified job. This was reserved for the lowest of the lowest ranking slaves in a household. In fact, I found out that in some Roman provinces, it was actually illegal to force a slave to wash somebody else's feet. Think about that. Even in a society that would impale you on a road and let children watch, Right? I mean, they, would, they, they thought to themselves, you know what, we can stick a human being on a pole and hang it up for everybody to see, and the children will be fine with that. But by golly, let's not make anybody touch somebody's nasty feet. Are you serious? So I hope you're understanding the significance of this. The reason I wanted to point out and spend so much time describing to you who Judas was is because Jesus washed that traitor Judas's feet. Verse 13, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. That's what got Jesus killed, claiming he was God. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Having given you an example to follow, do as I have done to you. Write this down. Our capacity to love comes from the fact that we have received love. Our goal is to relearn love. We need to know that our capacity to love at all comes from the fact that we have received love from God. Jesus, in effect, says, I've done this for you. I am the Lord of the universe. You too need to love each other enough to do the most humiliating of all jobs and wash each other's feet. Now, what's interesting is that uh, about love specifically, you don't actually have to be a Christian in order to have the capacity to love. I know people who are happily married and would, would say that they have a strong love for each other, and they have no interest in anything to do with Christianity and the work and person of Jesus Christ. They'd, I'd probably describe them as adamantly opposed to Jesus Christ. They would say, why do I need God's love? Love my spouse. My kids love me. What do I need saving from? I'm good. And to a certain point, I would tend to agree with them. They do have the capacity to love because God is so good and so gracious that he gave all of us the capacity to love. Theologians call this common grace. That God's grace extends to all people. But where we would disagree is over the fact that they can't actually experience the fullness of love in its truest form because they don't have a relationship with the author of love, the God of the universe. And so most pe- the most popular verse in all of the Bible, you've seen it at football games or wrestling matches, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son 
Jesus, whoever is going to believe in him will not perish, will have eternal life. But the very next verse, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, if God wanted to, to condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But because he wanted to save the world, because he loved the world, he sent a savior. Everybody who's alive right now has received God's gift of love, although you may not be able to experience the fullness of love unless you trust in Jesus. There's something still missing. That's what might be at stake for you this morning. It's probably why God brought you to church today. Like Judas, you have betrayed Jesus. All of us have. None of us have lived perfect lives. You've made dumb choices, and Jesus still loves you enough to say, no, you're worth me dying for. If you were alive back then, Jesus said, you're worth me washing your feet for. We'll come back to that. Look at verse 34. Jesus continues talking to his disciples. Now, Judas has subsequently left the building. He's looking for his opportunity to betray Jesus. But Jesus tells the other eleven... A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, this is not a new commandment. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people. And Jewish people know Leviticus 19.18, written thousands of years prior to this, says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So loving each other is not a new command. What is it? It's a new definition. Jesus didn't give us a new command. He gave us a new definition. Why? Because if you learn it wrong, you're going to live it wrong. And apparently, Jesus' disciples were living love wrong. You can see, according to Leviticus, that love used to mean, I'm supposed to love who's like me. Look at it closely. It says, don't bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor among your people as yourself. Jesus' defini- definition is new because loving who's like you is old. It's wrong. It's not what you're supposed to do anymore. You've got to love not just those who are like you, but those who are unlike you. Loving people who's like you is easy. Loving the people who put the toilet seat down, that's easy. Loving people who cook dinner for you and you work late, easy. Loving the driver that passes you and goes fast so that you can get behind them and get there faster, easy. Loving the driver in the fast lane who's going slow so you can't get around, hard. Loving my kids on a uh, winter break day because there was too much ice and all they want to do is fight and argue all day long, that's infinitely more difficult loving uh, someone who won't do what i tell them to do loving someone who won't give me what i want hard difficult not easy and apparently the disciples felt the same way so jesus comes along with his new definition of love and says no you can't just love who's like you you got to love those who aren't like you you're gonna have to love those who have betrayed you judas You're going to have to love people who have hurt you, Judas. You're going to have to love people who will drive nails through your hands and feet and whip your back with 
with strands of leather and bone so it plucks the skin off your back. You're going to have to love people who, who drive a crown of thorns through your head and a spear through your side. You're going to have to love people who speak falsely about you and accuse you of things that you've never actually done. Write this down. You receive love vertically. You give love horizontally. We've already learned that you receive love from God vertically. And you give love to everybody else horizontally. There's a direct correlation between your relationships and your spiritual life. A lot of you are putting a a lot of time into this, the vertical, and you should be, the you and God, but you're not seeing any progress because you're not spending any time in the horizontal, you and people. Too many of us are looking for validation in the wrong section. You've been looking for affection in the wrong direction. It's all this way. Now, this is where we serve. We get our love this way. And as I have loved you, Jesus says, so you need to love one another. Only God holds, holds the keys to your freedom. Why are you looking to somebody else for, for this when it's coming from this? Because you've learned it wrong. Jerry Maguire lied to you. There ain't nobody that's going to complete you. Stop putting that on somebody else. Jesus is your soulmate. And even if there was a mythical one just for you, somebody would have screwed that up for all of us a long time ago. And they would have married the wrong one, which would have in turn married, they had to marry the wrong one, and snowball that over a few thousand years, and none of us have the right one. You know how I know Laura's the one? Because we're married. That's what made her my one. And I know not all of you are married, but I'd like to point out that one of the relationships God has designed for you to put this serving into practice is marriage. And studies done not by Christian organizations show that married people have better health, more wealth, up to 400% more wealth, and even better sex lives than singles. Because of that, they will also die happier, which is everybody's goal. Die rich and happy, well, apparently you just got to get married. (laughs) One article I read uh, said that happily married people are less likely to have strokes, heart disease, or depression, and they respond better to stress and heal more quickly. What? Apparently you become an X-man when you get married? Sitting around like Wolverine, just healing more quickly than everybody else? But listen to me closely now, because we're imperfect people, and none of us are going to be fully capable of giving this love horizontally, which means the greatest pain and the greatest pleasure that you will ever experience in life will come in the context of a relationship. I'll say that again, because that was really good. You guys are just staring at me again, doing that thing you do. The greatest pain and the greatest pleasure that you will ever experience in life is going to come in the context of a relationship. Because we're called to serve, and not everybody is able to do it the best way. It's why it is so vital that you quit staking your happiness on somebody else's ability to make you feel something. I'm amazed at how many people qualify their life based on what they feel. I'm amazed by how many people will make stupid decisions based on what they'll feel in the moment, only to regret it years later have to have difficult conversations because of it. 
Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love can be seen. That's why Jesus continues in verse 35, By this, all people will know that you're My disciples if you have love for one another. Well, how are they going to know if you're loving? Because love can be seen. In other words, for love to be noticed, it has to be practiced. For love to be noticed, it has to be practiced. I came to church this morning to tell somebody that relationships are a submission competition. And you've got to be doing everything you can to submit to the people around you and serve them. People will say, well, we don't have what we used to. Of course you don't. Romance burns out. But it's not the fireplace's fault if there's not a fire in it. You've got to put some logs in there and feed it. And how many of you all know that takes work? Chopping wood takes work. I know, I have a fireplace. You all have heard the stories. I can't chop wood. You've got to figure it out. But ladies, how come the last time you said turn off the lights and lock the door was when his parents showed up in the driveway. (laughs) That ain't right. That's not right. Men, how come the last time you all bought chocolates was for yourself? Again, that's not right. You need to serve each other. And your feelings cannot always drive this process. That's learning love wrong. It's what the world is teaching you. So let me try and answer this question. How do you love someone when you don't feel it? You serve. That's what Jesus taught us. Do you think the human side of Jesus wanted to climb off His throne in heaven where the Bible records for us that angels are ministering to Him day and night and He's infinitely wealthy? Do you, want to, you think He wanted to climb off of that throne to be born in a cave in a livestock feeding trough to a teenage girl who's unmarried, whose husband is working class, he's going to grow up poor. Do you think he wanted to do that so that one night at dinner he could get off of his chair onto a nasty floor that had probably never been swept in order to take the sandal off of a man, uh, take his foot that he created, by the way, and take it, and, and that ungrateful, thankless backstabber, and start genuinely, affectionately, lovingly, washing away the filth, and the grime, and the dirt, and God only knows what else, knowing that that man in a few minutes is about to betray him. You think the human side of Jesus maybe thought, you know, you've got to be kidding me. I left all of this for this. And so let me tie this back to your life. A while ago, Time Magazine wrote an article called How to Stay Married. I would not recommend it, but there were some interesting uh, items, and I want to read to you one paragraph that proves my point. The author wrote, There's a reason fairy tales always end with the marriage. It's because nobody wants to see what comes after. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through comic misunderstandings, overcoming family disapproval to get to the altar. Those are all stories worth telling. But plodding on year after year in that, with that same old soul, Yonsville. 
Is that not our culture's mentality? Nobody wants to hear that marriage isn't always all goosebumps and giggles. Nobody wants to hear that loving God requires effort and exertion, and sometimes it's just getting up and reading the Bible and coming to church, and you might not get the goosebumps of anything happening either. And nobody wants to admit that parenting is stress and insanity. And nobody wants to know that even if you give love, you still might not get love back from that person. But that's the truth. And and there's a lot of people who go to church and say, come on, pastor, give me the meat, give me the deep stuff. When when the reality is, we're struggling in the shallow end. Because this is the one commandment that God gave us to do and do it right, to love people. We're struggling with the simple stuff because the world teaches us that love is about us. And how do you make me feel and serve me and make me happy? And love is all about receiving and not spending. But if you learn it wrong, you're going to live it wrong. And at the end of the day, for love to be noticed, it has to be practiced. You actually have to do something. You have to go out of your way. It's going to cost you a lot. There's a counterfeit love that the, that's actually the opposite of Christian love, and yet the world still calls it love, and it goes something like this. There's a kind of worldly selfish affection that says, I love you, I want to have you, I want to meet my needs through you. But Christian love, the kind of God, uh, love that God is calling us to do, the kind of love that would kneel down at somebody else's feet and wash them says, I love you, I want your best, I want your freedom, I want to bring you to God, and I will do anything it takes to get you there. Even when I don't like you, I will love you. So let me do this as we close. According to the Word of God, the greatest thing that you can do with your life is to love. And moments after Jesus commanded this and gave us this new definition of love here in John chapter 13, he clarifies it in John chapter 15 when he says, There is no greater love for anyone than somebody who would lay down their life for their friends. Now, Jesus literally did that. But I think what he was getting at for us is that there's no greater thing that you can do in this life than to lay down your passions to help somebody discover their purpose, which can only be found in Jesus. Leading somebody to fullness of life in Jesus will far outlast any business you start. It will far outlast any inheritance that you can leave your children or even their children. It will far outlast this earth. Somebody told you Somebody loved you enough to, to get up in the morning and go to a church and, and set up chairs. Somebody loved you enough to, to sit down and watch your kids. Somebody loved you enough to, 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 to make coffee and to shake your hand and, and pass out a connection card. And Does it mean that you have to invite everybody over to your house and have a relationship with them? No! Jesus let Judas walk away. What it does mean is you have to be willing to live your life in such a way that people see Jesus in you. It means you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to allow people to know that your life is different. That you're going to love them. 
and you care about them. And even if they're different and they're living in a way that you would describe as unlovable, you're still going to do whatever it takes to love them. Because listen, the world's going to love them. The club's loving a lot of people right now. Alcohol, drug addiction, you know, the drug dealers aren't turning anybody away that's got some money. The world's loving people not like them. And yet we as the church struggle with this new definition of love. When we need to step up, start caring for the people and and letting them know that God has a better plan for their life than anything this world can offer them. We're going to serve them, even when they're different. We're going to care for them. We're going to help introduce them to Jesus. Then let Jesus take it from there. God, we love you. We thank you. We're so grateful for this opportunity to come and gather in this place and open up your word and hear from you. God, it's a hard message learning how to love. But we know if we learn it wrong, we're going to live it wrong. And there's a lot of people in our world that don't know you, which means there must be a lot of Christians living love wrong. As we continue to pray, just ask you to listen to that voice in your heart. Maybe you're like Judas. You've betrayed trust. You haven't loved the way God has asked you to love your spouse, your friends, your neighbor, whoever it is. Kids. Where is God speaking to you right now? Where is He convicting you? The good news is you can leave today and make some changes. You can start showing love. Some of you have been like Judas and not trusted Jesus. You might have been coming to church for three years just like Judas. You've never surrendered your life to him. You don't know what tomorrow holds. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. I'm sorry I've sinned. Forgive me. Help me love you better. And God, help all of us love the people around us better. Help us show love. Help us serve one another. Not to get something back, but because we're bringing your name glory. We love you, we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.